You are listening to Feast Radio, bringing God's love and grace on air. Listen to significant and heartfelt messages you can reflect on and pray about. May this message help prepare you to face challenges, follow your dreams, and open yourself up to God's unlimited blessings. Right now, I want to invite you to say our favorite prayer here at the feast as we come in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Why don't you lift those hands up? Come on, receive the blessing from the Lord and say this with me. Today, I receive all of God's love for me. Today, I open myself to the unbounded, limitless, overflowing abundance of God's universe. Today, I open myself to God's blessings, healing, and miracles. Today, I open myself to God's word so that I become more like Jesus every day. Today I proclaim that I'm God's beloved, I am God's servant, and I am God's powerful champion. And declare this out loud, and because I am blessed, I am blessing the world in Jesus' name. Amen. Everybody, stand up in honor of God's word. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I want you to open your hearts and get ready to be blessed, okay? Brother Bo, take it away. Hi everybody, I am so happy that you join us today and I thank you for allowing me to be a part of your home, a part of your heart and I'm praying that God will bless you and your family today. Are you ready? Here we go. I want to preach the message, God wants you to eat and drink His love. Yes! That's powerful. For the past two years, we have been unpacking the Gospel of Matthew. It has been that long and it has been an incredible journey. And here, we were already here at this point. We're starting the climax of the story. What is that? It's the last meal of Jesus and his disciples before he dies. Are you ready? Matthew chapter 26, we start with verse 15. Here we go. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the 12 disciples went to the leading priests and asked, how much will you pay me to betray Jesus to you? And they gave him 30 pieces of silver. Now, I want you to know in the original translation, it is, they use the word denarii. Okay, I'll explain in a little while what that means. From that time on, Judas began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. Now, here's what Matthew, the author, was doing, the author of the gospel. He was putting beside each other two opposing stories. We read the first one last week. Mary of Bethany, because of her love for Jesus, giving very expensive ointment, breaking the alabaster jar and pouring to Jesus, okay? So then you've got this story, Judas, exchanging Jesus for 30 denarii. Now, listen carefully. Denarii, what does that mean? Daily wage, back, back then. So if you translate this in modern Philippines, think, think of minimum wage, let's say 15,000 pesos, right? So to make it a bit graphic, Judas exchanges Jesus for the price of an entry-level mobile phone. Okay, you got that? <laughs> um, here's the lesson. Matthew's bringing this out and I, I, I want to share it with you. I believe he might be saying this, that wise people give up everything for Jesus, just like Mary of Bethany. Foolish people 
they give up Jesus for loose change. So perhaps Matthew is asking us this question and putting these two stories together. Are you Mary or are you Judas? Are you giving up everything for Jesus? I hope so. Or are you giving up Jesus for something that turns out to be nothing? When I look back at my life and I'm tempted to do something wrong, that that's the temptation. Giving up Jesus for my pride, giving up Jesus for my lust, giving up Jesus for my greed, giving up Jesus for my selfishness. Every time we are tempted, that's the temptation. Are you going to exchange Jesus for something that later on will be worthless? That's the point. And, and it's, it's so good to remind yourself of this question. And uh, hey, don't exchange Jesus, period. Let's continue reading the story. Um, on the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, which is another name for Passover, okay? The disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to prepare the Passover meal for you? As you go into the city, he told them, you will see a certain man. Tell him, the teacher says, my time has come and I will eat the Passover meal with my disciples at your home, at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus told them and prepared the Passover meal there. A little explanation of what does it mean, you know, like Passover meal, what's that? Passover is the biggest Jewish feast. Why? It's their origin story. Once upon a time, the Jews, they were just a bunch of slaves in Egypt, suffering under the cruelty of Pharaoh. But God came, rescued them, and made them a great nation. Now, the reading that we just read, the passage we just read from Matthew, it's, you know, it's almost like Matthew was giving us this sense that Jesus was planning this whole thing, including the fact that the Passover meal that he was gonna be celebrating with his disciples, he was celebrating one day before everyone else. Why? I want you to know this was clearer in the Gospel of John, but even in Matthew, when, when Matthew says, on the first day of the festival, this is what happened. Bible scholars believe that they were referring to the, the, day, the day before, sunset. Why? That's not how Jews started their day. Not at midnight, like, like modern people, but sunset of the previous day. Why? Why was Jesus celebrating the Passover meal one day before everyone else? Because Jesus knew that the next day he would already be hanging on the cross. He could not, his, he was not available basically, okay, to celebrate the Passover meal. But also because of this, Jesus died at the exact, exactly on the feast of Passover. Why? Jesus was tying these two events. He was tying these two events. What God did to the people of Israel, rescuing them as slaves, from Egypt and what God was doing now through his death, rescuing us from sin. That's, that's what we're doing. And um, let's, let's continue, here it goes. When it was evening, Jesus sat down at the table with the 12. While they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. Greatly distressed, each one asked him in turn, uh, am I the one Lord? He replied, one of you who has just eaten from this bowl will, with me will betray me. For the son of man must die as the scriptures declared long ago, but how terrible it will be for the one who betrays him. It will be far better for that man if he has never been born. Question, question. 
Have you been betrayed before? Hurts, right? Now, if it was done by an acquaintance, mm, it hurt, but not much. But a deep, uh, but, but, but by a close friend, ouch, ouch. I want you to know that Jesus was deeply hurt by the betrayal of Judas because Judas was already in his inner circle. They lived together, they worked together, they traveled together for three long years. Can I say this? I've always wondered as a young Christian many, many years ago, why do we have the capacity to hurt God? And now I know. I'll tell you, because God, when He relates to us, He drops His defenses. Why? Because He loves us. Why? He's brought us into His inner circle. That's, that's what, and what, this is what God did. He entrusted His heart to us. Whoa! <laughs> that's the kind of God that we love, that we follow, and that we worship. Let's continue. Verse 25, Judas, the one who betrayed him, also asked, Rabbi, am I the one? Jesus told him, you have said it. You know what's significant in that verse? Judas calling Jesus Rabbi. Because in the entire gospel, no disciple called him Rabbi. They called him Lord. Who was calling Jesus Rabbi? Ah, in the gospel of Matthew, outsiders. And Matthew is asking us this question. Is Jesus simply a rabbi to you, or is he Lord? Do you just listen to him, or do you obey him? Are you someone who goes to the feast and, and just listen? Or do you actually say, this is my Lord, he has spoken, and I will obey? My dear friend, if you think that the messages we just read and, and, and heard is powerful, and it really is, wait for the next part. That's where the core message will be given. God bless you and keep on listening and obeying God's word. Powerful stuff. Audi, preach away. What an honor and privilege it is to be able to study the Word of God together. And we want to thank Brother Bo for that strong, powerful message. Thank you, Brother Bo. As we allow God to continue speaking to us in the remaining minutes that we have, I want us now to go back to the passage. We are in Matthew chapter 26, verse 26. We got, we got a long way to go, so please stick with me, all right? Let me read. As they were eating, some of you are going to remember this gospel story, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, take this and eat it for this is my body. And then he, take, he, he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, Each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Mark my words, Jesus says, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Then they sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. This is very familiar, especially for Catholics, because we hear this said in the Mass every single time. But just to explain it very quickly, okay? In Matthew's Gospel, Jesus predicts his death no less than three times. 
In fact, you know, he repeated it so many times. He was almost like a broken record. But here's my theory why he did that. It's because I think that he knew that some of his disciples would not get the idea the first time. And, you know, true enough, none of them understood it at first. They just couldn't grasp the idea that the Messiah, the Savior of the world, needed to lose in order to win. And, you know, in fact, this idea is still vague to some people today. If you ask a Catholic this question, how does the death of Jesus save you? You know, many people will probably stutter and just repeat the things that they heard from their old religion class. Jesus would have been better if he wrote a book entitled, uh, The Doctrine of My Death and Why It's Good for You, written by Jesus Christ. <laughs> That'll become a global bestseller, right? But, you know, Jesus didn't do that. He didn't write a book to explain his death. He didn't do a podcast to explain salvation. Instead, what did Jesus do? He gave his friends a lovely meal. You know, he sat down with them and then he gave them supper. Let me explain. In the olden days, um, there were two things that used to hang in the dining room of every Filipino home. The first one was this, a big wooden spoon and fork. Come on, how many of you had this thing hanging in the wall of your home or maybe your relative's home? Did you have that? Okay, the second one was the image of the Last Supper. Every Filipino home had these two things. It was the most sellable, sellable home decor back then. I don't know why, but you know, let me explain this for all the millennials in case you're wondering, what is the Last Supper? Okay, the Last Supper is a famous painting done by Leonardo da Vinci. The millennials are like, no, Brother Audie, that's Leonardo DiCaprio. Okay, no, 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 it's Da Vinci, okay? That's right. Da Vinci is considered one of the greatest painters in history. In fact, his most famous painting, apart from The Last Supper, is none other than the beautiful and mysterious Mona Lisa. Like, just like that. But it was the Last Supper, you know, where Jesus and the disciples, were, where they were painted and depicted in a very straight line, this beautiful painting, it became the universal image of their final supper before Jesus would be handed to the Romans and be crucified. But, you know, if you study the Bible, if you look down history, this depiction of Da Vinci was not entirely accurate. You know, scholars believe that Da Vinci's idea of this supper was based on how they ate during his time. But this was not how Jews ate 2,000 years ago. During the time of Jesus, they didn't eat in a tall table. Instead, they used short ones, like you'll see on this photo. You know, they were seated while leaning against a small table. Look at that. This is how a real supper might have looked like during the time of Jesus. In fact, okay, let me give you a better idea of what their Passover meal looked like during this time. This is going to make it easier for you to imagine the events that took place. So during the Passover meal, there would be four cups of wine. And each cup represented an expression of deliverance that was promised by God to the Israelites in, found in the book of Exodus. For example, first cup represents God saying, I will bring you out. Second cup, I will rescue you. Third cup, I will redeem you. And the fourth cup, I will take you as my people. They had all sorts of rituals in, during the Passover meal. One other ritual was called the karpas, where they dipped vegetables in salt water. Today, we are more practical. You know, we soak vegetables in vinegar to remove the bacteria. But back then, this was very symbolic to them. They would dip veggies in salt water because the salt water represented, get this, the bitter tears of being enslaved by the Egyptians. So the next time you get heartbroken, you know, you can do the same thing. You dip your vegetables in salt water to represent your bitter tears and then you eat it while crying your heart out. <laughs> Just a suggestion, okay? This ceremony didn't lack any drama. Do you agree? 
after the second cup was offered, what happens? The youngest person or the budso of the family would then uh, purposely ask the question to the eldest, why are we doing this again, kuya? And then the kuya would, would retell the story of the cruelty that they suffered under Pharaoh's rule and how God sent nine plagues to rescue them. And then he would say that on the night of their escape, he would recount this, every firstborn son in Egypt would die, but then they would be saved by the blood of the lamb. Why? Because God told them to kill a lamb and then in, in its place, put it on the doorposts of every house so that death will, quote unquote, pass over them. That's right. That's what the instruction was for. And so uh, this was the origin story that the Jews would tell themselves again and again. But then in this particular Passover meal that was held by Jesus with his disciples, all this was about to change forever. Let me give you now what happens next. Jesus then now proceeds to take unleavened bread. Why unleavened? Because it was very symbolic of how the Jews were in a hurry that night. You know, they were in a hurry to get out of Egypt. They had no time to wait for the yeast of the bread to make the loaves rise. So instead, they had to go through what I call the Makju drive through <laughs> Anyway, so, so Jesus takes the bread and then blesses it. But then he says something very disturbing. He says, this is my body. And you know, for Catholics, we've heard the priest say this line again and again in the Mass so many times that we don't even realize how morbid this sounds. Let me give you this analogy. Imagine this. I give you a piece of chocolate chip cookie and then I say, hey, this cookie is my body. It's made from my own flesh. It's still fresh. Enjoy. Would you eat it? Give me a hands up if you're going to eat it because I'll send you one right now. <laughs> but in, you know, in reality, this was the perfect analogy of Jesus. Jesus uses his body and makes it synonymous with bread. He says, I am the bread of life. Why? Because what is bread but something that's beaten, that's pounded, that's kneaded, that's rolled, and then placed in a hot oven. In a matter of hours, that's what Jesus will do. After supper, that was exactly what's going to happen to the body of Jesus, right? Bread means life. Hashtag, hashtag bread is life to some. It nourishes us. And in the same way, you know, Jesus' death also nourishes you. And then what happens next? Jesus now proceeds to take a cup of wine. And again, he shocks everybody by saying, this is my blood. Um, Jesus, I don't know if you noticed, but I'm not a vampire. I'm not Dracula, Jesus. <laughs> Who in their right mind would want to drink the blood of Jesus? But you know what? I want you to know that this is not just any ordinary blood. It's not just regular blood, but this was the blood of the covenant. Jesus was now hyperlinking this to the first Passover of the Israelites where the lamb's blood became the symbol of God's protection to them. Here's the simple message. In the same way that God rescued Israel from the slavery to Pharaoh, Jesus rescued you from the slavery to sin. <laughs> Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. But wait, hold on. Where's the lamb? Because a Passover meal will not be nearly complete without a lamb. And when Jesus reenacted this according to the story that we just read, there was no mention of any lamb. How important is the lamb to the Passover? I'm going to explain this through a story of our very good friend, the late Father Eric Santos. In one of his... Um, one of his uh, homilies, Father Eric, said that he was born in a poor family in Tondo. And then one, one birthday, 
his mom, his nanay, asked him to blow the candle. And she said, Anak, bago mo i-blow yung candle, mag-wish ka. You know, in English, make a wish, she says to Father Eric. And then he, he makes a wish. And as he proceeds to make a wish, the mother asked him, Anak, ano yung wish mo? Or, son, what's your wish? And then Father Eric says, ang wish ko, he says, sana, sa susunod na birthday ko, sana hindi na kandila lang, sana may birthday cake na ako. In English, my wish is that on my next birthday, I hope I already have a birthday cake. You know, this is just one of those stories that just, just pierces you here, right? In the same way that a birthday needs a cake, the Passover needs a lamb. But when Jesus celebrated the Passover meal, there was no lamb. But you already know this. There was no lamb on the table because Jesus was the lamb of God. He was the lamb that would be slain. How amazing is that? The host was also the food. He would have to die in order that spiritual death would pass us over. Let me say it again, my dear friend. Jesus could have explained his death logically. He could have done it intellectually, rationally, using seven bullet points with 18 footnotes, but he didn't do that. Instead, he sat down and he fed people with a special meal that was already woven in the hearts of the Jewish people for more than 2,000 years. This is the genius of Jesus. Praise Jesus. You know, because for every Jew, the Passover meant freedom, deliverance, God's favor. But then Jesus redefines it by inserting himself as the sacrificial lamb. Why? Because God doesn't just want you to understand his love. But through the Holy Mass, through the breaking and the blessing, through the giving of the bread and through the drinking of the wine, God is telling us, I want you to eat and drink my love. I want you to experience me in every sense. This is so powerful, my dear friends. When I was reflecting on it this week, I kept on asking myself, why did, why did Jesus use the words uh, eat? And drink. Why, why use eating and drinking as the action? And then the more I thought about it, the more it suddenly hit me. We are all driven by hunger, right? I mean, think about it. The story is of, of Genesis is about a man and a woman who were put in a garden filled with fresh produce so that they would never ever go hungry. God knew that we were going to be driven by our desire, by hunger. And you know, this is the same thing that still drives us today. Let me prove it to you. There was a study done by a Filipino food company way back when, many years ago, that revolutionized their products forever. And in their focus group dis discussion, they noticed that Filipinos displayed this very weird and odd, strange habit before they ate the meal. You know what they would do? They would, they would smell the food right before eating it. They would, they would smell it. So they came up with this brilliant campaign. They used the term langhap sarap. You remember that? They still use it until today. To paraphrase it in English, it says, this smells yummy. And, you know, after that, the sales just skyrocketed and eventually they became the number one food chain in the nation. You know, we are beings that are driven by our senses. We like tasting, we like seeing, we like smelling, we like touching and feeling because our hunger drives us to consume, to eat, to drink, to experience every drop of this thing called life. However, this hunger made us want for more, more power, more knowledge, more freedom. And you know what happened? It led us away from God. So God, in His brilliance, I still, I 
still, I'm still blessed by this message. God it is brilliant. What did he do? He made himself palatable and palpable. Jesus offered his body and his blood so that we could taste how good he really is. That's why the psalmist says, taste and see the goodness of the Lord. So now when you say that God is good, I want you to know that it doesn't just pertain to his goodness, but it also pertains to God's tastiness. God tastes good. And you know, this is so true. Have you ever tasted the goodness of God? Have you ever drank and tasted the goodness of his presence? Come on, how many of you have ever experienced this? You can be lacking in life, but when you have God in your life, you feel that you have more than enough. Scripture promises that when you have God in your life, you will never hunger, you will never thirst for more. And you know, in a world where everyone is longing for something that's lasting and something that's true, I want you to know that there is a hope that's within our reach. And His name is Jesus. He's the only one who can satisfy the deepest longings of your heart. Only Jesus can meet your greatest need. Only Jesus can fill your life to full. And by the way, that's the meaning of the word fulfilled. You are filled to the full. You are overflowing. This is the mastery of Jesus. The mastery that he didn't just preach it. Instead, he showed it. He demonstrated it. He said, I am the greatest meal that you can ever have. I want you to wrap your head around this truth. Every time you celebrate mass, even if it's online, you're not there to spectate. You're there to participate. You are seated around the table having a meal with Jesus. He is at the head of the table and he says, this is my body. This is my blood. Taste my goodness. Drink my compassion and enjoy my goodness. Are you ready to taste and enjoy the goodness of God today? Let's bask in His presence, my dear friend. I want you to close your eyes and, and let's pray. Let's pray. Jesus, you are so good. Thank you so much for allowing us to partake in this meal, this banquet where you are the meal. Thank you for allowing us to have life with you. We worship you in spirit and truth. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I don't know about all of you right now, but there is no place I would rather be than here with my God because there is just immense peace and immense joy in His presence. There is healing in His presence. There is strength in His presence. And you know, we're all but mere pilgrims in this world, in the sense that we're all just journeying and looking and searching for even just a little taste of heaven, but then not realizing that heaven is doing the same thing right now. Before you or I ever took a step towards God's direction, Jesus came and pursued a relationship with us. He didn't wait for you and me to get cleaned up, to get our act together first. No, He demonstrated His love for you and me on that cross. cross. Romans 5.8 says, while we were still sinners. So if you're feeling a little weak right now, find your strength in God's presence. If you're feeling lost right now and hopeless, you can find purpose and meaning in God's presence. Let me say it this way, God, He's the hound dog of heaven. No matter what kind of barriers and walls that you have erected and put up and built around your life to keep him away, it's not enough to stop him from pursuing you and chasing after you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. And he won't stop. He will never stop. They say never say never. I'm saying never. God will never stop until he catches you. So maybe it's time to stop running, my friend. 
It's time to stop running away from Him. Open your heart to the Lord right now. Let Him in. If you're ready to do that, just open your hands right now and then say this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I'm here in front of you and I'm asking you that in my brokenness, in my lostness, I thank you for finding me. Thank you for being there and waiting on me and never giving up on me. Thank you for chasing me. You never got tired of me. You never quit on me. Right now, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. I walk with you and I declare that from this day onward, I will dwell in your house forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Subscribe to Feast Radio and open yourself to God's grace. For more podcasts like these, visit feast.ph slash radio.